I don't know, it's been a couple of weeks ago, I guess, whenever I did part one of this. And um, basically, uh, just real quick, I'm just going to kind of skip through this and maybe do about a 10 to 15 minute review, and then we'll, then we'll try to hit the part two. So the purpose of the study uh, of Genesis chapter two, uh, obviously this is the making of mankind or making of man. And um, uh, I wanted to show a more personal aspect of Jesus uh, in relation to Adam. Uh, to gain a better perspective on just how much Adam was loved and mentored by Jesus uh, from day one, from the day he was made, to provide a clear picture of mankind's creation. And, uh, and this perspective is going to give us a more detailed look at why God declared war on Satan uh, for trying to destroy his work. Um, just a little bit of context that we had before. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is an overview of creation through day 6. Uh, the Bible was organized uh, and divided into verses and chapters and all that. It was done by uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langton. Um, so sometimes when you read verses and it seems like one ends here and another one begins, you got to remember that was not in the canon. That's not how it was originally done. Mankind, we, we, we did that. So sometimes there can be, I don't want to call it errors, but there's some things that can be done or, or the way that the Bible's laid out that sometimes makes it hard to follow. So um, basically, when we start with chapter 2, uh, chapter 2 gives us the order in which things were made in chapter 1. So some people try to say, oh, you know, this is, uh, they, they try to uh, call time on, on both, and the problem is, is if you try to look at it that way, you're going to get really confused, because uh, what we have is an overview, and then, uh, the, uh, chapter 2 just kind of breaks it down and takes a little bit more of a zoomed-in look, uh, particularly at the making of mankind, or, or, or making of Adam. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, uh, the focus of chapter 2 is to give us the order, and that's what it says, uh, in which things in chapter 1 were completed. Uh, Genesis uh, 2 through 4, uh, uh, or 2, 4, uh, just says, These are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and heavens. So chapter 2 focuses specifically on details of the garden first and then uh, on Adam and then finally on Eve. Uh, we also just hit a few little things like uh, was Father God uh, ever in the Garden of Eden? And not according to Jesus, he was not there, at least not after Adam was created. Jesus himself tells us, uh, it's John 1, 8, no man has seen God the Father or God uh, at, any, at any time. Uh, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Also, uh, John six forty six. Uh, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, and he that hath seen the Father. Well, Adam's a man, so no man's seen the Father. That lets us know that the Father God was not there. To be clear, uh, Father and the Spirit were at creation. The whole point in covering this part is that Jesus was appointed uh, by the Father to be the primary designer and builder of creation. Uh, John 5.30 uh, says, uh, uh, and this is uh, Jesus uh, speaking here, I can of myself or oneself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Uh, and then uh, Paul tells us in Colossians that by the Son were all things uh, created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So, Paul here, he could have said uh, God. He didn't. He specifically said the Son. And he's just kind of giving us a revelation. And don't forget that Paul was trained by Jesus Christ. Uh, so he would know. <laughs> so uh, one quick look here, too, to provide more context. What does this tell us or, or, or you know, about the Lord God spoken of in Genesis? Well, beginning in Genesis, the words uh, God or Lord God, in most cases, is going to be Jesus Christ. So when you read that, if you replace uh, the the title Lord God there with Jesus Christ, you're going to get a much better perspective of of what's going on in the garden. Uh, also remember that Jesus and his plan of redemption for the world is and always has been the main focus of the Bible from beginning to the end. The purpose of the Bible is to point us to, to Jesus Christ. So how do we place Jesus in the garden? This is important because if we're going to talk about Jesus being in the garden, obviously, then we need to know how we know that. Uh, well, we have John, uh, I'm not going to read these just for the sake of time, but we have John 8:58 tells us that the Pharisees, uh, Jesus tells the Pharisees uh, that he is I am, or he tells them I am uh, whenever they uh, are talking to him. And uh, anyway, so uh, we follow that up with uh, Genesis 3, 13, uh, uh, 13 and 14. 
the great I am was also the voice of the God from the burning bush that spoke to Moses. Because whenever Moses asks the God in the burning bush, who do I tell them uh, that is sending me? And he said, you tell them that I am ascending, sending you. So, uh, so we know that. Basically, the same voice of God that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So once we establish that he is I am, this same, this same God also uh, uh, asked Moses, whenever Moses starts to kind of flake out on him a little bit, he says, uh, you know, who made God's mouth? I, uh, or, you know, or God tells him, I the Lord. So we know that God uh, in the burning bush tells uh, Moses that he, uh, that he made man's mouth. So the Lord God of verse 7 created man from the dust and breathed life into him. Uh, it, so we, we know that uh, from Genesis 2, 7. So the connection is really pretty simple. Jesus is I am. We know that from John 5, 8. I am was the voice of God from the burning bush to Moses in Genesis uh, 3, 13 and 14. God or I am from the burning bush tells Moses that he made man's mouth. Genesis 4, 11. Conclusion, I am made man since jesus is i am jesus made man's mouth from the dust of the ground it's very simple i just have to just follow the steps um we covered uh, verses one through three uh heaven and earth are finished in verse one including everything in them uh verse two jesus ended his work and he rested from all of his work um based on these verses uh a lot of people get too uh you know, they, they, I've heard a lot of sermons on rest and while rest is important, the word rest here just means he was he was done. So he was he basically had finished something that he started that was very important to him. So uh, when you when you look at the the word rest here it is Shabbat pronounced uh, Shabbat and uh, which is in, in the original Hebrew. It just means to cease or to stop. So he didn't take a break. A lot of people think, oh, you know, he went and laid in a hammock for a few hours after creation. He didn't do that. He was still busy. He had things to do, but it was important because he had finished something that was very precious to, to him. So he sanctified or set apart the seventh day because he completed his creation. So, you know, it's just like uh, anytime you accomplish something really great, there's something that's really special. Think of a birthday. You know, we honor someone's day they were born. This is Jesus honoring this day when everything, everything was finished, when it was completed. Verses 4 and 5, um, we're told that, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying before, order of events in which things in chapter 1 were completed. Uh, where it just says, these are the generations of heaven and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made them. So we get a little bit closer, closer view. Um, just a silly question, did Jesus have a greenhouse? Uh, verse 5 uh, is interesting because uh, basically uh, verse 5 tells us that Jesus made every plant and herb before it was in the earth. The Bible actually says that. So these things were, were you know, plants. I mean, whether it, it is referring to seeds, whether it's, you know, we don't really know that, but we are told that the uh, plants in the garden were created before they were ever planted. Um, and uh, we were looking at rain. Um, you know, I'm not clear on the meaning whenever it talks about uh, this, but this tells us that, uh, uh, so anyway, going back to the rain upon the earth, it was uh, not, there's not a man to till the ground. So yeah, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself trying to skip ahead. Um, so anyway, whenever God made every plant uh, before it grew, and it does tell us why, it just says because uh, Jesus had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. So it's almost like, He's saying he made these things, but they were, there was not someone to care and tend for them, so he did not put them out yet. He was holding them. So he, so he, he kind of hung on to them. Uh, then we get uh, to verse 6, uh, pre-flood method of watering the ground. Um, basically, just uh, you know, some say that this is the morning dew because it talks about a, a mist comes up. Uh, I think it, it really is more of a mist than dew. Some people say, oh, the dew came up from the ground and watered it. But if you understand, uh, Pastor Danny would be way better at ex explaining this, but the canopy uh, where the, flood, the water for the eventually would become the flood is being held above the earth. It, you know, back one of the reasons why it was so lush and green everywhere back in the earlier days is because it was very humid. And so the, the, I think the indication here, in my opinion, is just it's more of a mist came and watered everything at that time. Verse 7, man is formed. Um, yeah, and I had this cool little graphic of Jesus forming mankind from, from the dust. I don't know who painted that. It's a painting I, I got. I stole it from somewhere. Um, 
I don't think it's copyrighted, but um, anyway, it says Jesus breathed into Adam the breath of life. Uh, you know, life, you know, th and this is the thing, too, we looked at. Life is a supernatural gift, literally made from dust. Life was breathed into Adam's body, and he became a living soul. And um, I think that maybe this was part of the, the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit was present for creation, and he had different jobs to do. And I wonder if possibly this wasn't one of them, you know, who, who, who knows? I know that a lot of times whenever you... Uh, read breath uh, in the Old and the New Testament, a lot of times it can be interpreted as spirit, and um, so there's, there's ways to look at that. Um, uh, and then we looked at, you know, the flesh of man's body dies, it returns right back to that same dust that it was made from. Uh, so uh, detractors of uh, the Bible, uh, there's so many little details that they miss uh, that they, uh, whenever they uh, try to debate the existence of our, our, our Creator. So uh, verse 8, we are told Jesus planted a garden. It doesn't say he spoke the garden into creation. It says he planted it. Uh, I think that this just gives us context to how special the garden actually was. It wasn't um, just an arbitrary little piece of this puzzle that he's throwing out there. He, there was a specific plan in place. Uh, he, did, he planted it. This uh, Hebrew verb here is uh, natah, which simply means to establish or fix but basically, uh, it, it, it tells us that about the garden in particular. Uh, and, it, and it seems very literal. So that a lot of times you really have to try to follow the context of what the Bible's saying. It gives you a better understanding of whether to take something literal or not. Um, and something that I want to point out here, too, is, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to paint a picture of Jesus uh, with his overalls on out there planting a garden. But what I am saying is, at the very least, when you're having a house built and you have a contractor, a builder who's on the job site, he's, he might not be the guy driving the nails and pouring the concrete, but he's overseeing it. They're, the the, the subcontractors are doing what he is telling them to do. So what I am saying is he was personally involved in the construction of the garden on a much different level than just the entire creation. Because we have creation as a whole, and then we can almost kind of zoom in a little bit, and then we have something much more personal uh, within the garden. And that, that's sort of the picture that we want to get here. Uh, something else that was interesting, the Bible tells us that the garden is constructed eastward in Eden. So understand the distinction. Eden is not the garden. A lot of times people go, oh, you know, Jesus, or, or uh, he talks about the garden being Eden, and it's not. It's actually the garden was east of Eden. It was uh, or, or inside of Eden. Um, so I think that's interesting uh, that uh, that, you know, we, we actually have, so one thing that I didn't cover last week or last time I did this is that what this also tells us is that the geography had already been named and separated. So we, we had lands or we had places. So at that point, because there was Eden, the garden was not Eden, but it was in Eden. And then uh, we're going to learn too that there was, Eden was not the only place that had a name at that time, even before mankind was made. Um, the uh, verse 9, we learned about the trees. There were two that were named. Uh, they were not only aesthetically pleasing, but they also provided food. So they had, they had purpose. Uh, only two trees are named. It was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, these two trees are located in the midst of the garden, so we know they were located in the center. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there was a reason for that. I really didn't give that a whole lot of thought, I guess. But um, anyway, I have a little map here that that just sort of shows where, where based on, as best people can tell, where one of the places that it, it might have been located, because um, it says the, the, the rivers, or this river, there was a river that came out of Eden uh, flowing east uh, to water the garden, and uh, from it, it split into four river heads. So we had one river that splits into four river heads. And um, let's get into verse 9 through 14 here. Yeah, so the first river is called... Uh, uh, Pison, which means overflow or to increase in Hebrew. Uh, the Pison River flowed through the entire land of, of Havilah. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I'm probably going to butcher this a little bit. But uh, it says, uh, you know, apparently uh, Havilah has gold because it says its, its gold is very good, uh, which is interesting. Uh, uh, Havilah means circular in Hebrew. Uh, the gold in, in uh uh, Havilah is good, and the word gold here in Hebrew is uh, zahab, or which means to shimmer. 
So uh, this word is most often used as shimmer and not necessarily as the uh, precious metal. Uh, so, uh, anyway, it, it, it could be gold, literal gold. Uh, all we know is that there was something pretty shiny in there and maybe something that was actually gold, so we don't really know much else. Uh, but delium uh, is uh, dola in Hebrew, which is only used twice in the whole Bible. Uh, once here, and also Numbers eleven seven to describe the color of manna, which I think is interesting. Uh, it means gum. It also is used to... Uh, like I say, to any time they're referring to the color of amber, uh, that word is used there so uh, to describe um, manna. So, uh, you know, there's some indication here that manna may have been amber in color. Who knows? Uh, that's what Numbers tells us anyway. Um, onyx here is shoham uh, in Hebrew, which is uh, almost exclusively used to, uh, in reference to pale green. Uh, a precious, and, and it's a precious stone called beryl. And Beryl is uh, made a point to mention that it's Beryl is uh, said to resemble a human fingernail. It's a little round stone, I guess. Uh, so uh, see, so we'll keep on with our little review here. Second river is Gihon, which means bursting forth, uh, and it flowed through Ethiopia, according to uh, verse thirteen, uh, verse fourteen. Third river is uh, Hidikiel, which means rapid in Hebrew. This river also uh, is thought to be the Tigris River uh, based on location. Uh, the fourth river is Euphrates, which means fruitfulness in Hebrew. A uh, little interesting fact um, that I did uh, also is you have uh, uh, the Pison, which means overflowing, uh, Gihon bursting forth, uh, Hidikiel, uh, rapid, Euphrates fruitfulness, uh, English text is actually read right to left. Uh, Hebrew text is actually read uh, from left to right, or as they say, toward Jerusalem. You always always read Hebrew toward Jerusalem, uh, at least when you're in the in the West. Yeah. So yes. Ethiopia. Well, here the here's the thing is that it's there. Th a lot of this is based on. Um, so this is the Persian Gulf. I don't think I. I don't think I have a way to m make that larger in my little slide. But um, yeah. So you have. Uh, so this is the Persian Gulf right here, and a lot of people think that the river came out. Now, uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of folks who think that it's possible that Eden might be under where the Persian Gulf is at one time. And I don't know if that's true. Because one thing that we talked about, and uh, Pastor Danny and I talked about this, after the flood, the terrain of the earth changed quite a bit. And in fact, um, you know, a lot of Christian geologists and people like that, you, you can actually see where the continent split apart. You know, it was all one. If you, I mean, this, that's how come if you take a world map and you take all of the continents and put them together, they actually make a puzzle. Um, so it's it's really hard to say if for sure that that's where it's at, but. You have, this is Havila, where we're talking about the gold. Uh, so you have the Gihon right here. Um, this is the Euphrates River, which is now known as the Prath River. And uh, Edekiel, or the Tigris, runs right through here. So um, uh, the Red Sea is way over here. This is the Red Sea right here. Um, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's the Euphrates River. Oh, okay, no, the, uh, south of that. This one? Yeah, yeah the Pisan, okay. or, or now known as the Kuwait River. Oh. So, you know, and uh, now whether, again, the, the, a lot of this is just based on what people can kind of cobble together. Uh, and there's differing opinions on this, because whenever I was looking it up, I found there were like four or five different maps people try to come up with the ways. So I try not to get too deep into that, because I... I you know, if it's not something that the Bible can be, can pin down, then, uh, but I do find it very interesting because, again, it, it does provide context, I think, a little bit for, uh, for that study. So, yeah, 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 <laughs> no, I understand, <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, so, y you know, you can put the names of the rivers. W what I have found in a lot of my Bible studies is the names really do mean things. And, and if you look at the original Hebrew, uh, so the original Hebrews um, and Jews, especially much of the older ones in the Old, this is particularly true in the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament. Things change so much 
during that, but uh, in the uh, in the Old Testament around Moses' time, names really meant something. So if you look up somebody's name, what you'll find is is that a lot of times God's got little. It's just really neat some of the things that you can find from just figuring out somebody's name if you look it up. Uh, so uh, anyway, but yes, yeah, so whenever I put all the names of the rivers together and we read them from left to right or from right to left, uh, it just says fruitfulness, rapid, bursting forth and overflowing, which I think probably describes how the land was in general. So just thought that was kind of neat. Um, now we have, let's see, verse 15, 16. Adam is put in the garden to dress it and keep it. So we have Adam. He's been created. He's been put in the garden. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I. Sometimes my mind wanders all over the place. I try not to get too carried away. But if he was put in the garden, that obviously means maybe he wasn't created in the garden. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, he was given a responsibility, a job to carry out the daily maintenance of the garden. Because as we, as we saw before, Jesus waited to, to construct this garden or plant this garden until he had a man to put in it and take care of it. Uh, this assignment came with a bonus. Uh, Adam can freely eat from every tree of the garden. It's like God gave Adam, he just gave him his big bag of Skittles. There's, bu- there's all kinds of stuff in this garden, I can imagine, you know. So he, could, he, had, he had just lots of things he could choose from. There was, there was variety there, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, so Adam, it, it's just interesting, the, uh, whenever Adam is told, and you know, if we just go to verse 16, I'll just, I'm going to read that real quick for you. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. That's, that's chapter 16. So uh, what Adam's being really, what he's really being told here is Jesus tells him that he may, he tells him he may eat. Understand, he doesn't uh, tell him that he has to eat from all these trees. So basically, Adam is being given free will. He's being, his free will is being recognized here for the, this is the first recognition of free will that we have. Because he tells him that he may eat or he can eat of every tree freely, he does not tell him to eat of every tree, and uh, so basically, this is the, our, the first form of free will that, that we're that we're seeing here. This is before Eve. Well, actually, th- that's what we're about to say. In verse seventeen is the big but. So that's what I call the big but. So, you, so verse seventeen starts with. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He told that to Adam. So Adam was the, Adam was the only one to receive that rule, uh, at least in the beginning. He, he was the one that was originally told that. Only after being told he could eat from every tree of the garden. So understand the distinction here. God is saying, uh, basically, that he has the ability to eat from every tree, but he doesn't want him to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So, th- th- so the, understand again, this is another form of, this is free will. Th- this is not him, you know, Jesus isn't going, do not eat. He's just, but he's saying, uh, you know, I mean, he, he is kind of telling him that, but what I'm saying is, is he did not put it down. In other words, he didn't put a, uh, uh, you know, a century or an angel by the tree, you know, you can't, you can't eat of this. The fact is, you know, whenever we started looking at this, um, it's, it's kind of wild because he only tells him not to eat it. He could, I mean, he could, he could pick the fruit. He could do whatever he wanted to with it. He could display it. He could, I mean, he only couldn't eat it. That was the only rule. Don't eat it. You can obviously to prune it and care for it, he had to touch it. So it wasn't like he couldn't be around it. He just could, he just was not allowed to consume it. And we're going to, and what's exciting about this part two is we're going to learn why all that is a little bit. So we'll get, we'll, we, we will get there. So we covered this one question. Why did Jesus place food in the middle of the garden that he did not want Adam to eat? Very interesting question. Um, so this is, this is my take on it. I didn't, you know, I just kind of, after studying it, this is what I believe it is. You can make your own opinions and read it. But I, I truly believe in the context that this is it. Uh, Jesus knew that man needed boundaries and, and the discipline to honor them. Free will cannot exist without boundaries. No social structure will last unless mankind mutually honors the boundaries put in place by God and each other. The boundary of the tree teaches important, uh, in the importance of self-governance that must be practiced for free will to exist. And the fall was a result of rejecting God by ignoring the responsibility of self-governance 
The sin of pride and selfishness is grounded in violating spiritual, personal, and social boundaries. And what better way for mankind to understand the need for pure self-governance in order for uh, free will to exist in harmony with God and our fellow man? There had, there had to be a rule, at least one. And he only, he only had one. He only had one rule. So uh, anyway, this, this is really just the most basic of principles. Uh, but it's, if you think about this, this is, this is Jesus preparing Adam for eternity. Because you can't live in heaven without self-governance. People that don't honor governing themselves from within the heart, in other words, abiding by what we know is right and wrong, abiding by what the Bible says, if you can't do that one basic thing, then you're not going to be able to exist in heaven in eternity because that is one of the key rules once we get there. Of course, you know, the, the corruption of sin won't be there, but it still requires, I mean, our free will will still exist when we're there. So we have to have that, the internalization of, of you know, reflecting and understanding uh, about, uh, you know, self being able to govern ourselves. So that's the end of our review. I'm going to try to jump into this. Actually, uh, I think I've uh, probably taken more time than I needed to, but uh, we're going to try to keep going real quick because I've got some some interesting things to share tonight. So uh, let's go ahead and read verse 18. We're going to going to jump into our study real quick. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, this is where we left off last time. It says, "The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone." I will make him and help meet for him. So uh, let's look at the context for verse 18. This is just kind of a recap of what we just talked about. Heavens and earth, uh, the garden and Adam have all been created. Adam's just been put in the garden. We're told the names of the four rivers. Adam's been given the boundary, uh, one boundary by Jesus. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This boundary is meant to, to teach Adam as we, as we saw. So um, here we are that... We, we see that Jesus recognizes that Adam's alone. Not, I mean, this is no surprise, but, but this is the first time that he speaks of it or that we hear it uh, in the Bible as far as, you know, Adam has been created and he's all by himself. Um, Jesus did not stay with Adam full time. I mean, I, I don't know that there's any indication that Jesus was living in the garden, but, uh, but Adam was in charge of it. I mean, if Jesus was living in the garden, he may have had something else to do. I don't know, but... What we do know is that Adam was left in the garden to do the job that he was asked to do, maintain the garden. So that's, that's, that's what he did. Um, here in, in verse 18, we see that Jesus plans to make him a helper. And um, well, let's elaborate on that a little bit. So Adam was alone in the garden. And you have to remember, animals have not been created at this point. We're about to get there. But it's just Adam in the garden. Adam's got a job to do. He's uh, probably, I don't know, whatever was involved in the maintenance. This is, this is pre-fall, so I don't really know what dynamic that the garden had, but obviously it did require some upkeep. You know, if the plants are growing, there needs to be pruning done. There's probably, um, you know, and the garden was established at the time that uh, Adam came around, so it's not like he's having to grow anything. He's just, try he's just having to maintain it. Um, as the scripture reads, other than managing the garden, it appears Adam's, uh, this, you know, it, this is Adam's only interaction with Jesus. Is, you know, Jesus kind of comes and spends time with him. Uh, so, you know, he, he's basically just interacting with Jesus through the course of doing what he's been asked to do. Um, th this was an interesting question that I thought of is, do you think Adam knew he was alone or did he just accept how things were? So if he wasn't told he was alone and he, it was just like since day one, he was just presented with this job. And my guess is, is that since there was no sin there, I think Adam just did. I think Adam just did what he was told to do. He was just there. He was doing his job. Um, I think that uh, I, I don't think that he would he realized he was alone. But th this is what I think. I think that Adam honored his assignment as manager of the garden, but I think maybe he felt that longing. You know, uh, I think he probably maybe felt loneliness, but didn't know what it was, possibly. Just that emptiness or, or something that he couldn't describe, but he was more focused on doing what God told him to do. If you, there's a lot of parallels there because, I mean, I know ministry in general. I've talked to so many missionaries, and, and um, you know, uh, whenever you're having to deal with ministry, 
And I know um, th there's been times that we, I know when we were serving in our, the old church that I, was, I grew up in, there were times that I felt kind of by myself. My dad was full-time minister for 50 years. And, uh, you know, there were times he was, that he was lonely, you know, because as a pastor, you, you know, you can't just be out here at everybody's house all the time. And um, it's hard to keep and maintain friends when you know all the secrets in the church <laughs> you know, sometimes, but uh, it can be, it can be tough. But, um, but I can see Adam probably longing for some companionship, you know, uh, besides Jesus, you know, I, I think that Jesus was there and we're going to learn a lot more uh, here in just a few minutes about that relationship with Jesus that I think is kind of fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it is, um, and we'll we'll learn a little bit more. I think I'm gonna. I've got some uh, something I'm gonna cover about that here in just a little bit. Did you gonna say something? Mike? I, I just had a question on, on the items that you had up previously. Mm -hmm. Did you, you say Let's that see if the I can go back. Yes, he was made before the animals were made. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's see if I can go back to. Oh, did I lose my spot here? Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, yes, and because we, we haven't even got to the creation of animals yet, but we're about to. Um, so uh, here's something that it, so I've got a couple of little quick segments here I want to do. This is just kind of for fun. Uh, so this is uh, Twitter. This is a little Twitter post I'm about to share with you from September of, of 2020. There's an artist, a Dutch artist who, or photographer, uh, artist, uh, he he created this AI-generated image of Jesus. And I just thought it was really interesting because we're talking about, you know, relationships with Jesus and things like that. And I was doing a bunch of studies, and and then uh, somehow this popped up, and I just thought, man, this is just kind of cool. So I just thought I'd share it with y'all. But uh, anyway, so we have just this little this little thread that I, uh, that I found. And so this guy basically comes up with this, a, there's two versions of it. There's the the long straight hair or whatever, but um, I just think it's kind of neat. It, it, more than likely, this ha doesn't look anything like Jesus, but you know, it's just kind of neat that somebody took the time to try and uh, and basically th this is supposed to be uh, based on like the Shroud of Turin and some other things, you know, some other input. But uh, I just thought it was just kind of a cool thing to to share that. This is totally computer generated, and just like we we're talking about that uh, whole deep fake stuff, it's based on things like this, where the, they can take it, something that's uh, just from scratch. There was no, this was a bunch of uh, information input to create this image, and the, compu the computer or the AI actually made it. So the guy didn't actually paint it, he just put a bunch of information in there, and this is what it spit out. So, anyway, I just thought it was kind of neat. So. No, one is, um, let's see if I can. Back to that, yeah. Um, so that is, yeah, there we go. That is, uh, I think it's two different versions of Jesus. He just, he just spit out a couple of different ones, and he just picked out the two he liked the most, and um, as best I can tell, but I just thought that was just sort of interesting. So uh, something that I want to get into that we talked about, we were talking about the tree. So I'm going to sidestep the study just for a second because I think there's something really interesting to, to notice about the tree of the, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, and, or the tree of life. 
uh, in particular. So uh, the Adam did not already have eternal life whenever he was in the garden. People assume that he did, but he didn't. And the Bible tells us that, and I'm about to show you. So, uh, you know, Adam's assignment was to God's garden, and it was necessary for him to live eternally. He had to, because the garden, this is pre-flood, or, or pre, uh, pre-sin. Uh, and here's how we know. In Genesis 3, 22 through 23, and I'd love to do, at some point, do a study on Genesis 3, where, where it, the fall of man happened at some point. But uh, it just says, uh, after Adam, this is after Adam sins, uh, we observe an, a statement that made by Jesus, our Lord God, here where it says, Behold, the, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him forth and from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. He was kicked out of the garden to keep him away from the tree of life. Because the tree of life, that was one of the trees he could eat from, by the way. He just, the only one he couldn't eat from was tree of knowledge of good and evil. But I thought that was interesting that Adam needed to eat from the tree of life in order to maintain. Now, there, there's a lot of things to consider here. You know, but so basically the following context, uh, or following the context, we have Adam's life is perpetually sustain, uh, sustained by eating from the tree of life. Uh, you know, Adam violated Jesus' one and only boundary, and that was, uh, and was therefore sentenced to death as warned. And he had to be removed from the garden to restrict his access to the tree of life. Because the, uh, the tree of, of this uh, tree was the life source of his existence, a renewing life source assigned to him by Jesus. And I wanted to be clear here, too, that Jesus did not use this life source. He didn't need it. He's the one that made it. So, you know, you could get people who go, oh, well, what does this mean? Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to, to clarify that. Um, we see the return of the tree of life uh, whenever, we, whenever you read Revelation uh, 22, 1 through 2. The tree, of, the tree of life actually returns. And um, it just says, that, you know, it, it seems that this eternal life source is brought back to us and is accompanied by a clear river of water of life flowing from the throne of God. That's what, uh, that's what Revelation uh, 22, 1 and 2 tells us. So side note, the side note here, the curse of sin uh, will be present through the millennial reign of Christ here on the existing earth, which I, I, I was surprised to really study that out. But whenever Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, or sets up kingdom here on the earth for a thousand year reign, sin is still going to be a thing. It's still going to exist. Now the difference is, is those of us who are raptured by the church and all that, we're going to be in our new bodies, we will not be affected by it, but there will still be those here who are, uh, you know, he's going to set up his reign because the judgment does not happen till later. And there's actually a whole series of things I could show you on how, how, that, how I know that to be true, but it's it's very interesting because I had never really thought about that. I just thought, okay, he's going to set it up. It's going to be a perfect world, but it's not. It's, it's still, he is still going to right now. Uh, in the, the other way we know this is that in Revelation, it tells us that at the end of the millennial reign, whenever he's loosed for a season, he's going to gather the armies of the earth to battle against God one last time. And Jesus is just going to show up and obliterate them, plain and simple. But the but the sin sin will still exist. The the free will and and the people who were not raptured by the church who managed to survive by some miracle the the uh, the tribulation period um, they will still be procreating. There's still going to be children born during the millennium, and there's there's a lot there. It's very very interesting. Uh, so why was the tree the life source? I think it was just because he lived in the garden. I think life source could have been anything Jesus chose. It could have been it could have been baby aspirants. I mean, whatever, you know, it could have been anything Jesus picked it to be. It just happened to be, it was a garden, it was fruit. Um, I think that, uh, I just think that's, that's kind of neat. And um, so he's out of the garden, you know, Adam's been, he's been kicked out uh, with his death, you know, Adam's death sentence. is not, uh, why, ugh, man, I'm so tongue-tied, I'm sorry. Uh, he's, his life would no longer be eternally sustained by eating the fruit but instead, his time would pass without eating from it. Now, understand, he wouldn't just di- didn't just drop dead because he didn't eat the tree. But what would happen is, is something that we call the second law of thermodynamics. If you get into the study of creation, you understand what that is. And basically, the second law of thermodynamics basically just means that time equals decay. And that's true for everything involved under creation. So it's the earth, it's our bodies. Uh, you know, it's wear and tear. Something about there was a renewal of our bodies with the eating of the the tree of life. 
So again, uh, you know, it's just uh, those are, these are just little things I never thought about before till I really started doing this study uh, that I thought was just really interesting. So something about eating from the tree of life renews our bodies on a regular basis. Just you know, and if you think about it, the perfect you know, whenever you go back and you the way our cells regenerate, you know, you cut yourself, it heals. Imagine that on an advanced pace, or, or imagine that that ability, your, your body's natural ability to heal, but times a million i mean just imagine what that is it's like you don't you don't grow old because if your cells die they just get replaced with more brand spanking new ones you just it's just constantly a renewal body's the most amazing machine ever designed and built so all right so let's get into verse 19 real quick i'll try to i'm gonna try to get y'all out of here right on time that's why i'm talking so fast i'll probably regret this so i'm glad they're live streaming i think it'll be recorded you may have to go back and slow me down um and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So this is where, uh, Mike, you were talking about that earlier. This is the point when creatures are made. So Adam's already been, Adam's been created. Adam's in the garden. It's just Adam and all the stuff in the garden. There's no animals in there at this point. Uh, so... Uh, Let's see, verse, yeah. So here we have, uh, you know, in verse 18, something that I think that uh, I don't think I covered before uh, is, you know, we have this observation, uh, you know, that Adam, you know, God acknowledges or Jesus acknowledges that uh, he needed a mate, but then didn't do anything about it until later in verse 21. Uh, that was something that I wanted to point out too. I don't know why I put it under my verse 19 heading, but... Uh, we'll look at that anyway. So option one, because it, it, it is interesting. He, he acknowledges way before that Adam's going to need a mate, but then he didn't. He doesn't do anything. Instead, he just Adam remains in the garden. Then the then the uh, creatures are created, and then it, it's not until later that he, Eve is put into the picture. So I thought about that. Man, okay. So Jesus acknowledges it, but he doesn't do anything about it. So option one, Jesus wanted to have one-on-one -on -one time with Adam to teach him, much like he would do later with his disciples and Paul. Uh, you know, I believe that Jesus trained Adam on what to do in the garden, 100%. Adam didn't come preloaded with information. He's not a computer. He had to be taught. Or option two, uh, you know, the statement by Jesus, you know, it is not good that man should be alone, wasn't a sudden revelation he had after watching Adam mope around the garden after being placed there. I think that it's possible that statement may have actually been made during the planning or creation, during the planning of creation. Sometimes we get these little things that are inserted into Scripture that, you know, one thing that I will say, even though we are told that most of these events are chronological, sometimes we are given little statements that are not necessarily chronological, and this could be one of them. I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying that it could be, um, that, He's planning this process out, and he's like, you know, Adam's going to need somebody, you know. And so he puts that in the game plan, and then he doesn't execute it until later. Hey, I don't know, but it, it's a possibility. But we, we'll look a little bit more into that here in just a, just a minute, I think. But, uh, but before creation had begun, um, you know, for example, you know, imagine, I, just, just like I was saying, imagine Jesus at the draftsman's table planning all this stuff out because he— he had everything down long before the first molecule ever came into be. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And so, you know, it could be that it was just that he just planned out. Uh, also, both could be true. He could, he could have come up with, uh, obviously he did. He, he definitely, uh, option two is definitely something that happened for sure. It was always part of the plan. But, um, but I also think that, uh, in my opinion, I think both are true. I think that Jesus wanted, you were talking about that, time with Jesus, Bill, you know, that, that one on one time, Jesus wanted uh, to, to uh, you know, to, he, to have that time with Adam. So, animals are created from the ground after Adam, just like we were talking about. Um, so, here, here we have a, a third point I want to make here. Let's see, one by one, beasts and fowl are brought to Adam to name. Uh, it's possible they were created outside the boundaries of the garden and then brought to Adam inside the garden one by one to name. Another possibility is that Adam witnessed the creation of the creatures and named them as they were made. I mean, that, that 
could be a thing. Uh, we know that um, we know that both of those things were true, that they were created from the ground and then they were brought to Adam to name them. And we don't really know, uh, we're not really given a lot of detail about that, but it's quite possible Adam witnessed the whole thing. Can you imagine that? I mean, that is, that is just fascinating to me. Adam, the first man, gets to witness the creation of animals. I mean, that's, that is phenomenal. Man, w- I, would, I would love to see that. I mean, give me a front row seat, man. You know, where do I buy a ticket? Uh, I think that's really good. Um, you know, at, at the moment, uh, you know, all the interactions so far with Jesus, they appear to be taking place inside the garden as best we can tell. Um, so maybe the animals were created in the garden. Maybe they were created outside the garden and brought in. You know, I'm sure that Jesus didn't just go, oh, here's all these animals, Adam, name them. You know, I'm sure he, that there was a, that there was some a plan there. Um, so Jesus brings each of the animals to Adam to see what he would call them. So there's way more than meets the eye here. You know, he, he, Jesus is bringing these things to Adam and something that I, I spent a lot of time really thinking about this. So the, this context really indicates that this is a close interaction between the creator and his creation. Here we have Jesus, you know, Jesus, he really does care about Adam, and he enjoys this interaction. And I, I just love how it says, to see what he would call them. So, um, you know, I, I just have this idea of a mentor or someone who is spending time with Adam. And, uh, you know, Jesus is teaching Adam here to use his free will. It's like a father to a son. He, he wants Adam to learn and to make free choices like naming animals. I mean, Jesus could have done all this stuff, but he chose not to. And there's reasons why. Jesus also introducing him to things that will teach him about the world around him. You know, he's just, he's just spending time with him. He's teaching him things. Adam's learning. Um, Jesus brings each of the animals to Adam. And so, uh, let's see. Yeah, here we go. Another personal observation in context is how Jesus is so interested to see what Adam would call each of the animals. And it seems to me to reflect uh, Jesus' ability to know all things, yet chooses to be surprised on purpose. In this particular instance, it seems that Jesus himself wanted to enjoy the interaction with Adam. And so to, to share time with him, this action reflects the heart uh, a heartwarming love, sense of wonder and curiosity of Jesus toward his creation. It's an example of how Jesus loves us too. And um, I just, uh, you know, something that I kept thinking about is you think about Paul spending three years, uh, I think it was three years with Jesus alone teaching him. Uh, then you have, think about the interactions with the disciples around the fires, the times, especially even after his resurrection, whenever they came and sat with him by the fire and ate. Jesus enjoyed that one-on-one interaction uh, with his disciples. He loved to teach. There's a reason why they call him the great teacher. He was, he, it didn't start with the disciples. This started way back in Genesis with Adam. That one-on-one time, I want to show you about, I want to show you about life, Adam. I want to I teach you these things. These are things you need to know. Here, here's some information that's going to help you. And so that, that's, Jesus is just giving him uh, so, some some knowledge and really really teaching him here. So whatsoever uh, Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So it's interesting. Jesus honors the choices that Adam makes. Jesus he could have called those animals anything that he wanted to, but instead he chose to allow Adam to decide, and then honors what Adam puts on there. I mean, he you know again. This is, the, this is the art of free choice. This is the practice of free choice. Adam gives it a name. You know, Jesus likes it or don't like it. He, he's the one that asked Adam to name them, so he just sticks with it. Whatever it is is what it is. Um, so he honors the, the, his choices of free will, even the ones that break his heart. And, that, and that's true now. You know, sometimes Jesus honors our free will, even though it really breaks his heart sometimes. But because it's the, the free will is such a gift, it's such an important gift that, you know, it's, it's something that he honors it. And sometimes it's to our own detriment. Um, so a- Adam gives names to all the creatures. Let's see, yeah, I guess I should read verse 20. We're almost done. Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. So at this point, there was probably not as many animals or variations as there is today, you know, even so, this still probably required a little bit of effort by Adam because it was probably a lot of work. There were There's a lot of different things out there to name, so it probably w- was not a process that happened overnight. 
Uh, but guess what? He didn't have any help. I mean, he was doing it all by himself and and not complaining about it because there was no sin at this point. So, I mean, he, he just did what he was supposed to do. You know, he's enjoying his time with Jesus. But uh, so he, he experiences what life working in the garden is like without human companionship. And we don't know how much time passed between the naming of the animals and the creation of the animals until Eve comes on the picture. Probably not that long, but... Um, Anyway, you know, he probably likely felt a sense of loneliness without really knowing what he was feeling. Uh, you know, we, God built us. We were made to love. And so that love, you know, that, to be able to express it, um, you know, I'm sure that that was there. Um, this is another little uh, thing about verse. So let's read down to verse 21. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him. Uh, fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So uh, my little joke here, Jesus is the first anesthesiologist and surgeon. So uh, puts Adam to sleep. Apparently Adam had no complaints about it. A rib is removed from Adam. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read down in verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So... Uh, one thing to note here, human ribs have the amazing ability to regenerate. Uh, portions of the rib bone and cartilage removed in bone graft surgery will regrow in a few months' time. As long as the rib, you're our resident nurse, I don't know, per, perichondrium, there you go, is left intact. This means that Adam's uh, loss of a rib was only temporary and he did not have to go through the rest of his life with an incomplete Rib, you know, some people say, "Oh, you know, he went without a rib," yeah, but he didn't. Um, and anyway, that's what that according to doc, according to WebMD. Anyway, who knows? They're a bunch of hacks. Um, in a manner of speaking, Jesus gave away the first bride, so he brought her unto Adam. And I just I think this is really neat if you really kind of slow down and kind of take in what's happening here. You know, here's Adam. He's been spending all this time with Jesus. He's been naming things. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up with this awesome surprise. You know, this this beautiful lady, you know, wakes Adam up. He's like, hey, Adam, get up. I got a surprise for you. You know, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's how it went down, but it's be kind of cool. But Jesus establishes the first marriage. So we, we there's a lot to, that we can take away from here. You know, he was brought to Adam, you know, scene that sort of reminds us of a wedding ceremony where the bride is presented to the groom. So, uh, yeah, so let's go to verse 23 real quick. In the rib which the Lord God made and i uh, say so, you know 23 yeah so we skip down adam said and this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man so uh here we have uh, adam making a statement here he, he recognizes that eve was made from his own flesh and he names her so uh you know how did adam know that eve was made from his own flesh and bone i guess somebody must have told him because you know apparently jesus shared with him where she came from I mean, he was asleep, and uh, but he makes this statement, and he kn he knows the deal. Adam is fully educated on what's going on here. He's not surprised at all. So I asked myself, why why was he not surprised? It's because he all, he knew, he was told, he was taught. So again, this just more implies, uh, you know, at some point there was some kind of conversation between Jesus and Adam regarding Eve. Uh, this conversation, you know, where the method of how she would be made, how it would affect Adam, was discussed, and that's how he knew. Uh, it, it, was all, it was all told to him. Adam clearly recognizes that Eve is different. Oh, this is going to be politically incorrect, by the way, what I'm about to say. Recognizes that Eve is different. He understands that she was created with a different but similar purpose. Because she was different from, or different than man, he names her gender woman. So he, he clearly recognized that she was different. Uh, you know, as a side note, um, you know, it, it, you know, Adam also gave her her name. Jesus didn't name Eve. Adam did. So he named everything else. So, uh, you know, that's interesting. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, but, you know, I'm saying that. The, the Bible doesn't really tell us that, but I think it, it does fit the context because he had named everything else. Um, also, uh, Adam recognizes that Eve is made from his own flesh and names her. In the name Eve, it means life or living or even Hebrew, I could not pronounce that, I'm not even going to try, but basically means living of the root word, uh, pronounced kavah, I do know that one, which means to declare or make known. So Eve's name basically means to declare the living, which I think is interesting, especially when uh, and this fits because 
at some point she would actually bear children to Adam, but also she would be the source of the Messiah one day uh, later on down the road. So uh, verse 24, uh, trying to wrap this up on time. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So verse 24 is basically a continuation of Adam's flesh of my flesh statement uh, from verse 23. And he understands what a father and mother are. How could he know this? He doesn't have a father or mother. He has no clue. So Adam was the first disciple of Christ. Now, now that's true. We don't know. That's true. Yeah, he know, he, yeah, you're right. Well, I think that, um, and I'm not really sure, but I do know that if we're if we're following this as it happened in order, as they as as we're told in the beginning of chapter two, and then you go in, go on to chapter three. Now, I don't know if chapter three is in order necessarily, but um, but then again, we really don't know the amount of time. It could have it could have been some. Two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I think this goes to reveal that discipleship relationship or that mentoring relationship, because, you know, um, if I gave the idea that, you know, Adam was just leaving, you know, leaving Adam out in the garden for months on end to do the job, I don't think that was the case. I think I don't think he was there all the time necessarily. I mean, I don't really know. But I do get the idea here that everything Adam knew, it was either shown to him or told to him by his teacher, and in which that would be Christ. And, uh, you know, just think again, you know, that that we need what we need to understand here is Adam spent a lot of one on one time with Jesus Christ being taught. And it's just, you know, just phenomenal to me to to really to really kind of think about that. So. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. The second Adam. That's exactly right. And and what I wanted to look at, too, is we're talking about the teaching methods of Jesus. So I wanted to go back and I was like, OK, so he taught his disciples. You know, what are his teaching methods? Speaking with authority. That was one of them. I mean, so he whenever he would tell Adam, he told Adam like, hey, this is this is the deal. I mean, he, he, he wasn't doing going, you know, I, well, I wonder he was speaking with authority, use object lessons all the time with the disciples. I've got I've got a few uh, those here. I'm trying to skip four because I only got about three or four minutes. Um, the repetition of lessons, whenever he would teach his disciples, we have different examples of where he would repeat the same lessons over and over because they were, like most of us numbskulls, they didn't get it the first time around. And so they, you know, he'd teach him with repetition. Um, he also took, he was a master at this, well-timed opportunities. Something would come up, he would see an object lesson, he would share it with them using the situation or something like that. Uh, and I, I think I named one there in Matthew eighteen six one, where he's talking about the grace of the kingdom. The children will run around. He's, he gr- put, calls one of the children over and uses that child as an object lesson to help them understand. Word pictures, Matthew 7, 6. Um, most importantly, Jesus also would demonstrate, like, the things he wanted them to do. He was also living these things, which, by the way, as a parent, that's super important. You cannot teach your children things if you're not living it yourself. They won't buy it. And they'll call hypocrisy on it in a second. And I'm, I'm telling you, they will. If you're not living it at home, they just, they're just going to write it off. If church isn't serious, if your lifestyle isn't serious, then, the, then they're going to they're gonna do that. So something I think is funny. Uh, it is, uh, says sarcasm creates a farcasm. I've heard that before, that old cliche. Generally, this is true. However, Jesus used sarcasm a little bit whenever he was teaching. I don't know. This came up because when I was looking at teaching methods, I heard somebody say, oh, Jesus was kind of sarcastic at times. I thought, oh, no, he wasn't. But he, he actually, he was. Uh, one of them is, uh, you know, in Matthew 12, 1 through 3, when he asked the Pharisees, have you not read? And I just thought that's funny because unusually, uh, you know, usually Jesus says this to Pharisees whose power rested on a superior knowledge of the Scripture. So when Jesus asked the Pharisees, if they asked them if they've read Scripture before, and he, he explains it to them. It's kind of a taunt. They, they knew the scripture, and he knew they knew the scripture. They knew they knew the scripture, so he was just kind of being sarcastic. Have you not read? Uh, so uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, then uh, we've got the John 10:31. So for which of my good deeds do you stone me? Again, sarcasm. Uh, 
Always to his detractors, by the way. He never did that to people who was teaching or anything like that. It's just pe people who were just so far gone that they were never going to listen to him anyway. He would always do that. Um, then uh, uh, it, it cannot be that a prophet die outside of Jerusalem. That was another one that he did. Because he was being sarcastic because they were like, you need to get out of here and uh, you know, because uh, uh, Herod's going to have you killed. And he says, oh, don't worry. Uh, he says, but, but I'll be back kind of quick because I'd hate for you guys, I'd hate for one of your prophets to die outside of Jerusalem. And he was talking about himself. He's being sarcastic. You know, I just thought that was, that was funny. Um, so anyway, verse 25, just wrapping it up. It says, uh, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Many Bible scholars teach here that Adam and Eve were just, they were just simple like little children. But I think they were much more than that. I think they were both highly intelligent, also not necessarily self-aware in terms of they didn't care about their appearance. They weren't worried about that. They had jobs to do. They were learning. They were living life. It's like that's the way it always was. It just wasn't a big deal. So they were just, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't all uh, full of pride, you know, oh, you know, I got to have this this way and this that way. So anyway, they knew Jesus would take care of their needs. They never cared about becoming anything more than what they were and, and what they had until temptation came in and offered, it, offered them a lie. It, they were perfectly happy. They were perfectly satisfied in, in doing what they were doing. Uh, and the job that they had. So anyway, let me get back. To the, oh, yeah. Also, it's just a declaration of the innocence of Adam and Eve. And, um, you know, at this point, you know, because what's about to happen, the things are about to change for them. So one final question. This is going to wrap it up. I'm only one minute over. Uh, this has nothing to do with the study. This is just one of them things I'm just throwing there for free. So why is Jesus always depicted in modern art, wearing a robe and sandals. And I assume it's probably because, you know, but at the time he actually existed on earth, that was what people wore. But it's, yeah, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be their clothing. But when we think of him in terms of the, you know, past, you know, we, we you know, we, this is kind of how people depict him, even in, you know, whenever they see him today, like, you know, if Jesus appears, you know, we think that when we hear of Jesus appearing somewhere, this is what he would look like, you know. And uh, so anyway, I just thought it was funny. But have you just read the description of the New Jerusalem in, in uh, Revelation 20, 21, 10 through 21? This is crazy. Like, this is, the new, this is what the New Jerusalem is described as, is a cube. This is what Jesus ought to be looking like, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being silly, of course. But I just thought that was funny that when I read the description of the New Jerusalem, it is 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles tall. Yes, miles. So, and it will, and it's not going to sit flat on the earth necessarily, but it's just, so this is, this is in the, you know, once the, this is new heaven and new earth stuff. And I think that this is where people who inherit the kingdom are going to, you know, every, this is still going to be heaven. This is, this is after sin. This is when things are cleaned up. But guess what? Not everybody's going to get to go to New Jerusalem. Guaranteed, the Bible tells us that too. Only, only some will, and it's the, it's the faithful. It's the ones who inherit the kingdom with Jesus. It's those who serve. You're going to get people who get into heaven, you know, people who at the last minute they make a decision, and God's going to honor their not going to hell. But it, for those that didn't actually, and I'm not saying this, is, this has nothing to do with salvation. This is just people who chose to serve and chose to honor Jesus Christ in their life while here on earth and while having choices to do other stuff, those are the ones that inherit it. And Paul talks all about it in the New Testament. And, you know, this, that was just a side note. That really had nothing to do with the study. But, uh, you know, people often question, you know, what does it mean to inherit the kingdom? Because inheriting the kingdom of God is not the same thing as going to heaven. They're, they're just not. You, you've, uh, the, earning... The earning the inheritance of Jesus Christ is something that you get as a it is a reward. It's a reward. So anyway, very interesting. Anyway, thank y'all for putting up with me. Sorry about all the rambling and such. And I would have loved to have slowed this. If I I would love to dig deeper into this. I was trying to get this one chapter done in two sessions, and I may regret doing that. But anyway, uh, and I might later, uh, if uh, Pastor Danny lets me, we may 
take a look at doing a chapter three study because that's man there's some there's lots of meat in that one there's a lot but anyway appreciate y'all being here i'm just going to say a quick uh closing word of prayer and, and you guys can get out of here thank you so much lord just for this time we've had together and i just uh thank you that we're able to get through it and i really hate that i had to rush but uh hopefully uh the information we shared and just uh, if nothing else just an intrigue about your word and just uh just about your care for us lord and about the the personal aspect that uh that we have with you and uh, anyway uh, just give us a safe trip home and a great week next week we also do pray for the uh, men's retreat lord just continue to prepare the hearts of the men going and uh, we just thank you for all you do for us and we just ask these things in jesus name amen